Welcome to the Green Edge podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our weekly update for the week ending 5th of May 2023. We start this week's Green Edge post with a quote from the guidance published late last year by the Department for Education to the Local Skills Improvement Plans which said that each local area has its own distinctive strengths and different ways to capitalise on the opportunities created by greener growth, emerging technologies and new global markets. Now, this is undoubtedly true, but when it comes to green innovations, some regions clearly have a head start. Michael, you found a report that looked at this situation right across Europe. Yes, it was a very detailed piece of work looking at local areas and looking at the skill sets across the whole economy, not just in green, that seem to be related to each other to actually create the bedrock for green innovation. And they did this over an extended period of time from about 2015-16 through to current time and found some distinct groupings where non-green skills were fundamental to drive green skill innovation or green innovations and technologies. And the point that we're making both in the post and in that paper was that you can't have just a green skills strategy. You've got to have a whole skills strategy of which green is a part because they are symbiotic in that sense. Now, in the post, we refer to studies that have also been done on innovation clusters in countries like Denmark, and in areas like Greater Boston in the US. Michael, tell us a little bit about those. Well, the Greater Boston one is they've got five major clusters around life sciences, science and technology, robotics, biotech, that's a part of life sciences, you could argue, and fintech. And this is where they've been able to mobilize the science and technology skills around that city and around its colleges and universities to create world-leading expertise and then they've been exploited in some form around key technologies that they've taken off the danish one i think they've got three major world leading centers one is around wind and wind energy and offshore wind in particular they've got one on robotics one on miniature devices like hearing aids where they create world leading centers but if you take all of them they've had long-term nurturing to allow them to get to where they are if you take the offshore wind for Denmark, that started in 1972-73, the initial push to move the economy away from oil dependency and move it towards renewable base. And they've built up a successes of policies that support and encourage both investment, development of people and the development of businesses around those technologies over a period of time. And today you have Orsted, which is a major world leader in the offshore wind industry. And the expertise in hearing aids is probably to keep the noise of the wind out, I would have thought. Possibly. Um, and the beauty is you can switch them off. What, the hearing aids or the wind? Hopefully just the hearing aids. I'm just being facetious. Now. I think you might be. And we also mentioned that complexity analysis should be part of each skill study. Yeah, it's interesting this, that um, bringing multi-factors together to find out what drives what was very fashionable in the 70s and 1980s. And now we seem to see people have rediscovered that software package for factor analysis and looking at hierarchies and relationships. And this piece of work certainly builds on that. And I think that's quite useful to create a map of the factors that are driving your local economy and can take it forward. And it'd be interesting to see how many of the LSIPs actually delve beneath the surface of the headlines 
of what they're measuring and describing and get into those drivers and factors they can really focus on. Now, we finish the post with the question of what will happen after the LSIPs themselves are published. After all, plans are plans and aren't usually ends in themselves. So, Michael, what do we know about what will come next in the great LSIP scheme of things? We don't know the answer to that because the LSIP money, when it was awarded last year, was for three years. And that was to support the development of the plan and also investment in the education, especially further education around particular skill sets. The sums of monies awarded were two to two and a half million. And that takes us beyond the boundary of the next general election. Hopefully, though, through the process we're seeing going on with the LSIP formation, the coalitions of organisations will continue and they'll continue to guide, collaborate, create groupings of where people can find solutions to skills issues going forward. So hopefully there'll be another wave of activity. But we've seen already that the LEPs will be disappearing. Hopefully the expertise they developed and the information they developed will be absorbed elsewhere into the chambers of commerce, into local authorities or new hybrid organisations around the freeports, for example. And our usual reminder that you can find this week's post on greenedge.substack.com. And you can also find this podcast on all the major streaming platforms, including Apple, Google, and Amazon. Now, Michael, we've just seen the new insight report published by the World Economic Forum on the future of jobs. Yes, it's the fourth one they've done like this. Now it's become an annual publication. This is based on a very large survey of over 800 companies employing over 11 million people cutting across a whole range of over 25 industry clusters and across 45 economies. Now, this is a strategic so directional report and highlights the critical skills going forward. And at that level, I think it's very, very useful. But what you find is there are two big strands come through this report. One is digital in its various guises, but also is the word sustainable and renewable come in very, very strongly as well. And therefore, they are seen as major drivers for change. The beauty of the report also, if you delve into the appendices, they do sector-level reports and country-level reports. And the country-level reports, we have the United Kingdom. And if you look at the global trends and their impact on job creation, the three biggest ones are broader application of environmental, social and governance standards, investment to facilitate green transition, and climate change-induced investments. So three of the biggest ones that are driving change in the UK economy, as identified by this piece of work, are green stroke renewable issues, which is quite interesting in its own right. Digital, if you read through the rest of the UK stuff, digital becomes a big, big part of it when you talk about specific technologies. In fact, they dominate the technology list of skills. But I think as a piece of work, and if you're looking for something that gives you a view to the future, this is not a bad piece of work. And it's become more and more thorough, more and more useful. I think now it's into the fourth version. I jumped straight to the conclusion of the report, as I do, and read that despite the gloomy predictions of job displacements from the green transition, the transition is predicted to be one of the largest drivers of future job creation over the next few years. But how much of these do you think will be actually new jobs? A proportion of them, but a vast majority will be people in existing jobs adjusting and crafting changes to their own activities on a daily basis. If we look at a piece of work based on LinkedIn data, they found the level of skill churn, i.e. new skills being added to occupations, was actually increasing. And they found over the period 2015 to 2021, about 25% of skills had changed in most jobs. 
And I think the highest they found was in construction, which is over 35% of skills had changed over a five-year period. Those people did not rush off. They did not rush out and recruit lots of new people. The people in those jobs acquired those skills on the job with support, with advice, and with guidance. And I think a lot of the green skills we talk about will be absorbed in exactly the same way. The other point that that LinkedIn piece of work made was the rate of skill churn is actually increasing. And they see it going up to 50% over the next five years. Now, one company that we talked to earlier this year, which has experience in the green transition in a very hands-on way, is People Powered Retrofit. PPR was established in 2021 as an independent community benefit society, and it advises and supports householders in Greater Manchester and the Northwest in planning, procuring and delivering retrofit projects. PPR has also developed training in retrofit fundamentals for construction professionals, and this is available as either a two-day in-person course or as a four-part online package. And back in January, we talked to Marianne Heaslip and Sandy Rushton of PPR about some of their experiences. A lot of existing training in this area isn't necessarily very accessible to people who are already working in construction, you know, plumbers and, and electricians and builders already doing what they call the RMI work. So the people who are already doing house extensions and kitchen installs and that kind of thing. And given the scale of the problem, it feels like unless we get people who are already in the industry and already know something about building to skill up, we'll never get there. The pandemic was incredibly hard, but it forces into doing all those webinars and one of the things that had the massive benefit of a lot more accessible to people who are out on site during the day and can come in and join a webinar at six o'clock in the evening or watch a recording of it on the weekend that kind of thing coming up with that two-day training course as well the reason it's two days and it's usually a friday and a saturday because we're really aware of the fact that any time spent doing training is time spent not on site and so lost income even if the course is free it's kind of trying to acknowledge that and work with where people are rather than expecting someone to go back to college full-time. Some of the big construction employers are saying, we know that retrofit is going to be a part of our business. We know that it's important. We're really keen on it, but we can't really pull the trigger yet because we don't really know what standards we're going to have to train people to, what roles. They can see that it's coming down the line, but they don't really want to pull the trigger on sending people through training yet. And it's like, how do we get them to move? And that is what we've seen with people who've come along on our courses in Manchester is they're now working with potentially clients of ours or on other retrofit projects in the area because they're making those connections in person on the course as well. Like maybe you come along and you're a tradesperson and you meet an architect who has a client and then you end up going on site with them. Michael, we're seeing quite a few good initiatives like People Powered Retrofit popping up around the country. We are, and they are building good capacity at local level and also providing high trust advice and guidance. The point I think we would make is the scale of the challenge here. If we take a piece of work done by IPPR looking at retrofit and the numbers we're talking about having a direct and indirect workforce devoted to the retrofit area of pushing a million people by 2030. And that would be about 3% of our current workforce. They project the figures going forward and that total combined direct and indirect workforce getting to 2.8 million. That is 8% of the UK workforce. Whilst PPR is a brilliant initiative in Manchester, helping number of people in that area we need absolutely loads of those types of organisations to really be mobilised to actually meet these numbers going forward, because this is a huge piece. The other point, if, if you've got potentially 2.8 million people devoted to this by 2050, it means these people aren't doing something else. So it squeezes the whole labour market elsewhere. 
Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter, to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.